Hi there. Welcome to the Brave New Workforce. My name is Trip O'Dell, and I am joined as ever by my co-hosts, Larry Cornett and Anna Kodina. How are you guys doing this week? Good. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I would hope so. You've been sending us all those pictures from your yeah. uh, your, get, your remote working from some resort in Mexico. It's, it's, I mean, you know, when the cartel calls, the cartel calls, do you really say no to, to a bunch of gangsters? Okay. <laughs> Enough with the shady. You're going to get a shadow ban from Man, like, our podcast, oh, which is like the, the first ever. So, no, yes, it's all good. The faucets are out and t- attacking me, though. Unfortunately, uh, I got sprayed. I saw really that. Good. I saw that. I, I just we'll just chalk that up to karma. Yeah, uh, so, so, so speaking of shady, uh, <laughs> this week we're going to talk about an increasingly popular practice among some employers to employ psychology. Uh, in the hiring process, whether it's behavioral interviewing or uh, machine learning or uh, sort of personality s- test, pseudoscience, yeah. personality. What is your what is your your mood stone and your sign? What's your favorite color? What's yeah. Your favorite color? Uh, junk science. <laughs> but there is a purpose and a place for some of this. And Larry, you have a you know, a PhD in psychology. Um, I've got a little bit of background, uh, but it's, it, there's, there's some tricky parts to this. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tonight or this, this week, we've have a couple of really brave people that raise their hand on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, we've not spoken to them before uh, to come in and talk to, uh, subject themselves to a behavioral interview. Uh, or some behavioral interview questions. And we're going to break it down afterwards and kind of give you a taste of like when a company is employing this, what are they really asking about? It shouldn't be a secret how to get a job, right? It shouldn't be a secret on what they're actually measuring. And from previous employers, the the perspective was, is that it's either there or it's not. And it's in the way that somebody talks about themselves. Um, So we're going to talk about the good and the bad. uh, But uh, and hopefully it won't get ugly. Um, so <laughs> without further no. ado, our first volunteer, Manisha, welcome to the Brave New Workforce. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Uh, this sounds like a lot of fun. Good. Fantastic. You, you almost sound like you're convinced that's, that that's the case, but we promise <laughs> we're going to be nice. <laughs> we'll see. So, so Manisha, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Sure, I can do that. I have been practicing uh, user experience design for more than 12 years now. I graduated with a master's in interaction design, and I established user experience teams, creating SaaS applications for automotive companies like GM, Toyota, while I was in Ohio. Since then, I have been in progressively leadership roles uh, since 2009. Uh, both in Ohio and then later in Oregon, um, first at a digital design agency called Havas Worldwide, and then uh, at Thomson Reuters, uh, it, hmm. designing indirect tax applications. And in my most current role, I am the head of uh, user experience design at DET, uh, which is based in Portland, Oregon. Um, I consider myself uh, a design as well as a people leader. So I was hired... Uh, at DAT in 2019 to build and scale uh, 
a user experience design competency. That's uh, great. So let's say that we are, you've come in and you're uh, applying for a role at a large company doing something very similar in a similar product area. Yeah, leadership role. Yep. Right. Uh, a le- another leadership role, maybe it's a, a VP role or an, you know, at, at, a, at a large company. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, since Larry was a VP of product and design in a prior life, yeah, I'll let him life. kick it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let him kick it off. So welcome to the interview, Manisha. It's a pleasure to meet you. So if you've been doing this for over 12 years, I'm sure you've experienced this. So tell me about a time that you've had to work with a challenging colleague in another organization and how you manage that situation. Absolutely. Uh, And and this um, actually happens more often than you would think. Um, uh, you know, people have different personalities. I do too. I'm sure that I come across as something quite different than what I perceive to others. Um, I usually believe in having open, direct, cordial, and respectful conversation. And should there be something that I'm perceiving as difficult or an impediment in conversation, I believe that I would like to sit with that individual and uh, talk to them directly. Uh, very respectfully, because, you know, the manner in which you speak, your body language, that that tells a lot about your approach. Uh, I would expect them uh, to understand that. Uh, and then we would take that forward. All right. Cool. Thanks. So I'm going to pick up. I'm Larry's the good cop. I'm going to pick up as the bad cop. So that's great. That's what we love to hear uh, about people that... Um, work with us at XYZ Corp, uh, you know, where we, we have uh, a very collegial culture. But I think it might help if you give me maybe a specific example of where you've had to have a challenging conversation with a colleague over a disagreement. Can you give me the sort of more detail? Absolutely. Uh- uh, I can think of a situation uh, back when uh, in, in my previous role, actually, not, not current role, where um, I had a coworker who was in a similar role as I was, would absolutely fundamentally disagree with me on anything, typically call me out in public situations and public meetings, uh, which was difficult to handle. And uh what I was starting to see that my authority and my credibility as a design leader was becoming undermined. And that was absolutely not acceptable. But on the other hand, I did uh, respect this individual. And so I held a very short meeting with them, which is one-on-one face-to-face. And I said that I would much rather have uh, them uh, talk to me in a more personal setting as opposed to uh, publicly reprimand or call out something. Uh, They listened to me and, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, were amazed that that's how I felt and uh, apologized and then said that they would correct their behavior going forward. No, that's great. It sounds like, did they correct their behavior? They did correct that behavior. I will let you know that it's slided back to, uh, you know, that sort of thing that I started noticing, if not to me personally, to other other uh, people as well. Um, and then uh, it was 
something that I brought up uh, brought up to their attention again. Okay, so um, looking back on it, I mean, uh, the, there's there's people that in every job where we may not yeah. see eye to eye. I've certainly had that. Sure. Um, knowing what you know now, or knowing, uh, or or what what would that person have said about the interaction? Like where where I mean, they were they just picking this fight or these, these disagreements or these, this confrontation just to be confrontational or, or were they like, what would, from their perspective, would you, would you say might've been at issue? Uh, for me, I think it was, uh, the, uh, a part of the personality, uh, not so much as being intentionally confrontational, but of having getting caught in the moment and then expressing themselves, unfortunately not realizing that that particular moment uh, might not be the appropriate setting. So you were peers in this situation, correct? Yes. Yes. So if I were to maybe change the dynamic a bit and say that this was uh, your boss or a more senior manager, uh, how how would you have handled the situation? Um, if, if that were to have happened in uh, a public setting, uh, I might let that go, especially because of the relationship involved. But if I start seeing that as something that happens consistent, I would absolutely uh, want to sit down with them and say that I did not appreciate that, uh, you know, potentially. Uh, you know, a lot of that, that sort of co- communication depends on body language, the manner in which it is said. Um, and of course, you know, the relationship is different. So, uh, nonetheless, I would absolutely be talking if it is a behavior that I was seeing consistently, and that was not going to be, you know, productive for me as a contributor on, on any team. So it needs to be called out regardless. Okay, great. Uh, and see, right. Uh, so (laughs) (laughs) so that was great. Uh, I think, I think that, um, now what, what do you think we were, we were asking you about? Uh, I think you were trying to gauge a, from a leadership perspective of how I would react in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that tells you a little bit about my personality, my approach. How would I be in settings that are potentially uncomfortable, but, you know, mm-hmm. nonetheless happen in the workforce? Uh, this, to me, is an important part of asking questions uh, in an interview setting. I personally ask similar questions just to understand mm-hmm. if that particular candidate is going to be effective at conflicts within the workforce. Exactly. What would their yep. approach be and how would they respond? That's right. awesome. So, um, Manisha... Thanks for coming on. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to go, if you want to listen in, you're more than welcome to go on mute. Uh, we have another f- person coming in, uh, and uh, we'll do it again, and yeah. and we'll do it again. And then I think at the end we're going to say debrief on this, and and you're welcome to sit in because I think there was definitely some strong things that you did, but there was a couple of things that were a little bit of landmines uh, that we sure. laid for you. Yeah. So uh, absolutely. Ha- happy to, 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 to be, to, to show you that. So I would love to hang out. So I'm going to just go on mute. I might even mute my camera so that I can, you know, sure. just sit on the yeah. couch and just listen in. Thank you so much. This sounds like an awesome session yeah. that you guys well, thanks. are doing. Thanks Thank for you. joining us. Yeah. Uh, my name is Trip. This is uh, Larry Cornette and Anna Codina, my co-hosts. Hi. And uh, there's nice one you. other person on the call, uh, Manisha, mm-hmm. who was our first 
hot seat uh, guest. <laughs> and we, 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 we gave her our first questions. And, and just like her, you're more than welcome to hang out at the end and, and maybe we'll discuss as we debrief mm-hmm. on, on what the nature of these questions are and the pros and cons. Uh, so this week we're discussing behavioral interviewing as one of the tactics that companies sometimes employ when they're interviewing candidates. And it's, some of it's good, some of it's not so good, sort of pseudoscience uh, and uh, we, we want to, we're going to be talking about that, but we wanted to give an example of mm-hmm. tell you about some times where we've, <laughs> we've done behavioral interviewing at other companies and what it, what it, its purpose in the process. So as we're getting started, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am an architect and uh, my main motivation for coming to this interview is I'm doing a lot of work in, in the EDI field right now. And I want to know if, doing a behavioral interview will push something in that direction to level the field for everybody? That is an excellent question. I'm sure we have a lot of thoughts on that, but we want to make sure that we're using great use of your time. And and I think we should definitely circle back on that because I think bias in uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, equity Mm -hmm. and inclusion uh, is uh, that's, I think, one of the critiques is that there can always be sort of a, a cultural filter and a monoculture that that, yeah. that happens with this. So um, that's a great call out. Uh, so A plus so far on, uh, on, <laughs> on, on, on guesting. You went at guesting this week. Uh, so at your, in your current role in, in, as an architect, Mm-hmm. Uh, are you leading a team, leading a practice? What, what, where are you? In yes, car? I'm uh, leading a team. Uh, let me tell a little bit about myself. I think I got that shot. Yeah. Uh, I work at a firm called Little Diversified, and uh, they have five locations across the U.S. And uh, I work in the Newport Beach office in their retail division. And we work on supermarkets and uh, banks and uh, smaller stores and such. And I particularly had the banking sector for Newport Beach. And I have a small team of three people. And my reporting structure is I have a principal above me and an office president. So that's a reporting structure. And other than my everyday work, I'm very engaged in um, my professional community, which is American Institute of Architects. I'm on the board for our chapter. And um, I'm a part of ULI, which is Urban Land, Urban Land Institute. And I'm also a part of NOMA, which is National Organization of Minority Architects. Okay. So that's all me. And that's my work and professional commitments. And I'm a married woman. I have two children and a dog. And I love to read, write, watch TV sometimes. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great, that's a great jumping off point. So Anna or Larry, do you want to kick it off with a, with a question? Do you want to do one, Anna? Uh, (laughs) Thing is, I have more of a marketing background. So when I'm asking questions, it's more marketing based. I'm not sure how to curb it with the um, architect (laughs) (laughs) side of things. Well, you know, that's a, that's a good point, uh, Anna, because like there's, um, that's actually one of the things at a prior company that I used to work for, Annie, Anna and Larry like to make fun of me that I name drop places <laughs> I have worked. But at Amazon, uh, we, oh, we wow. yeah, we 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 use behavioral interviewing extensively. 
And um, one of the things is, is that you could get people in from a bunch of, and a lot of the behavioral interviews were tied to their leadership principles, not necessarily mm-hmm. about a specific role. So um, I'll give an example. Um, Megan, uh, uh, tell me about your proudest professional failure. Proudest professional failure. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I think I can talk about my AIB exams now that they're passed. So for, to be an architect, we have to be certified by NCARB and we have to take five exams, which are very, very hard. And my failures happened there too. And there's this particular set of exams called PPD and PDT, which are, you know, that's where people get eliminated from being an architect. They keep failing the exams and eventually they come to a point where they're like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had my share of failures too. And uh, the first time I failed, instead of um, just crying about it, I made a group of architects who had failed it. And we all got together and uh, we studied together. And proud to say all of us passed it and we are all architects now, but we also formed this new network that I wasn't previously you know, exposed to. And uh, people mm-hmm. still continue that study group, study cycle, and there are new bonds being formed. So even though there is a failure of the exam associated with it, it kind of helped me lead to that network and uh, you know do something for the youngsters who will take that exam and probably fail sometimes. That's great. I like that. That was a great answer. Um, what led you to that? Like, was that just like you got the results on the first day and then the next day you just jumped right in and said, like found a bunch of other people that, that, that were <laughs> moping on the sidewalk and said, let's get a study group. Like what was the inspiration? Yeah, for that? So um, architecture is never a 40 hour a week thing. You work 50 hours, that's a normal. And, um, you know, when these people are taking exams in their middle career like me, I know that most of them are going through things like children and uh, deadlines and all that, just like me. So Mm -hmm. I thought instead of doing this alone, and uh, my husband is a software engineer, so he doesn't understand what I'm hoping about. So I thought (laughs) it's good to find a network where people know what's bothering me and Mm -hmm. they all want to collectively find a solution for that. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Very proactive. We've 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 got a ringer here, Larry. I know. Uh, what what uh, what do you do? You wanna do you wanna try try one? What's yeah, that? I was gonna say. Uh, so another question that I like to ask people, and I think as Trip was saying, some of the questions that you'll get asked are going to be very specific to your profession, but a lot of them are more about typical interaction, like with colleagues, leadership if you lead a team with the people that report to you. And so there's a lot of stuff that is, it's true, regardless of whether you're an architect or an engineer or designer, it's just Mm -hmm. human interaction. Um, One that I like to ask is, tell me about a time that you've ever had to push back on a request from your boss. I will dial us back 20 years, actually. Uh, (laughs) So when I started my first job, I already had a baby. And uh, 
somewhere around fall, she developed allergies and it went really bad. And she had to go to doctor and uh, mm-hmm. I had to take time off to take care of her. And I had to take time off because my husband was already ahead in, the, in his career. And it made sense for us to put mine on the backward financially. Mm-hmm. And my boss would come to me every day at four and come with a request like clockwork. And mm-hmm. that happened two days, three days. And I thought, okay, mm-hmm. there might be a deadline. It's a request that's valid. But when it started happening every day, then I had to speak up. I told him it's not right. going to work. Um, if you have any requests, you need to come to me before 3.30 because you know that I work 7 to 4 and you need to respect that. So after that, there was a little pushback from his side. You know how the, there's sure. that retaliation that's not, you can't call it retaliation, but mm-hmm. there's a slight intimidation oh, yeah. that yep. happened. But then, you know, I had made my decision. I held my ground and uh, eventually... He knew that that before I leave, and he needs to respect that. I like that. You stood up for yourself. That's great. Well, you 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 ran the gauntlet. Thank you so much for coming on, Um, (laughs) uh, Manisha. Do do you want to come off of uh, off of mute and and join the conversation? Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to. So, um, and uh, so I, I think there's a there's a a, a lot of, it's hard to go first, right? Uh, but yeah. I think one of the things when we talk about uh, these types of techniques that are used, so let me explain at least how I was trained to use them, uh, is uh, what we look at or the, or the idea behind some of these questions is tell me about a time mm-hmm. as opposed to what would you do is that people are, we are the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Or that, or that we tell about ourselves. And there's always a, a bit of like in a, in a interview process to want to only project your best self. And so when you give somebody a, 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 a question that has a little bit of stress, they might reveal a little bit more uh, in the details or when you ask a follow-up question. Uh, like, tell me about like, well, wh- how would the other person have seen it? And you're sort of digging in it and you're not necessarily taking it at face value. People are, the, the psychology of it is the cognition is starting to go and people are having to think about how to recount the details of it. And you want people to be very specific and not speak in generalities. Um, so at Amazon, um, we would use the leadership principles, things like hire and develop the best or uh, have a backbone, disagree and commit, uh, earns trust. And I think, um, Megana, your, your story of the study group, I think was a great story for that because it was specific. Uh, we, we, we called it SBIs. Uh, situation, behavior, impact, or sometimes they use STAR, Star. which is mm-hmm. situation, task, action, result. And you're looking for that full arc of a story on what did they specifically do? Uh, what was the situation, the full context, the, 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 the challenge, the action that they took, and what was the outcome? And you want to get very, and they'll, they'll, uh, it, it almost is like an interrogation. You're trying to get really, really deep into there. And they're marking sort of plus or minus on these various things. So I thought it was a really creative solution, sort of a, a think big, like, how, you know, uh, a uh, uh, earns trust. 
and almost a little bit of hire and develop the best. Like how are you getting people to, uh, to, to work together to a better outcome? So it was a good, it was a good question for that. And uh, now if you can imagine that, 45 minutes of that times five, because yeah, exactly. five interviews, <laughs> it wears you down over the course of a day and you get yeah, a pretty good yeah. picture from different points of view. And the idea, and Megan, uh, Megan you're uh, around at Amazon, we did, when we wrote down our, our feedback and we put them into the system, you couldn't see how each other were voting until before mm-hmm. the debrief. You didn't poison the right. well. Exactly. So you got yeah. different points of view looking at this and you'd see trends. Right. Mm-hmm. And ideally, things like bias would come up. And there were there were debriefs where we had bias come up. Um, yeah. But everyone, but the other thing that we're all of these techniques are really trying to get at growth mindset. And Larry, like, I mean, when we're talking about growth mindset, really, I mean, you're you taught me a lot about growth mindset as my coach. <laughs> what what are we talking about when we're talking about growth mindset? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, there's a difference between somebody who has a fixed mindset that assumes, you know what, you're born with a specific set of traits and capabilities and potential. And it's like, I'll be as smart as I'm going to be. And that's as high as I can rise in my life and my career. But a growth mindset is like, I'm always going to get better. I'm always learning more. I'm always doing more. I'm acquiring more skills. I'm self-aware. That's a big part of a growth mindset, I think, is being very self-aware. And you look for that in candidates to say, is this someone who's always aware of what they're doing, including their failures, and is not ashamed of those? They're like, yeah, I failed. I'm a human being. We all fail. But the thing is, well, what did you learn from that? And they're like, you know, I learned that the next time I was going to take this approach, or I learned this is how I talk with a colleague, and it's more effective. And so it's really fun to see somebody who's continually kind of aware and testing and trying different things and becoming more and more proficient in their life and their career. And it's, and it really is that growth mindset. It's fantastic to see. Yeah. And coming from like a storytelling perspective, a marketing perspective, you always want to kind of rehearse your top five stories, for example, and get that Mm -hmm. more refined. Um, The human brain really resonates a lot with storytelling. So Mm -hmm. if you're telling just facts and figures and stuff like that, even, you know, even if you did, you know, increase the, company's percent or company's value by 10% or however amount of money or whatever, the brain is not going to naturally remember that, even though that's in a very impressive feat. So if you have those statistics or you have those fact-based things that you've done throughout your career, think about ways you can make that into a story where the Mm -hmm. facts are incorporated with the journey of how you eventually got there is very important to how we remember and try not to be like, as Tripp said, as general, try to be specific mm-hmm. because we, right. we pick up on the details of, oh, you know, it happened to so-and-so in this way because we had a fate, we put a face to the picture. So mm-hmm. if, as long as you're trying to put faces to the picture, you're going to have a much more successful time being interviewed um, because they're going to be, you're going to be rememberable. And a lot of, a lot of, uh, can, so the way that people like, uh, an interview is, is at some level, always a little bit of an adversarial in, encounter, right? You're, you're way, trying to yeah. convince somebody that you're good <laughs> enough and they're right. trying to determine whether you are good enough. Um, and the, the, uh, and so we try to put our best foot forward. We try to talk about how great we are. 
And of course, I, I'm, I'm excellent and I haven't made yeah. <laughs> I've never had a worse professional right, or right. proudest professional. Why would I be proud of a failure? Like it, it, they're framed in that way to kind of put you on edge. And, and I think um, those that are trained to know how to do this and it takes practice uh, kind of understand that. So uh, Manisha, you came in when you answered your question around the conflict and th- those are always tough, that conflict with a, with a bad boss or cause you go to the net negative experience and that negative colleague, but uh, trying to push somebody into, okay, yeah, yeah. I know this is your story and your, it's your hero's journey, but mm-hmm. how self-reflective, like if you look at any sort of conflict, there's always two parts of it. Right. Um, and so you, you usually want to give the candidate a chance to say, well, looking at it from the other point of view, or if the situation were different, how would you have handled it? Or that's how you handled right. it then. Right. What did you learn from that, that you would, how you would handle it now? Um, and, and so you don't just sort of judge them on the first answer. You, you go for the clarifying and you'd be yeah. amazed at how many people yeah. just double down. I mean, like they just, they just, they're digging a hole and then they just get out the backhoe and they just keep digging harder. Uh, and, and, and that's usually a thing where you're like, okay, you know, how am I going to work through the next 20 minutes of this interview that I'm pretty much like, I know what my vote's going to be because that's a, that's something where it it is a flag. Um, and so that's what the good stuff is. Um, now maybe turn it around. Like what, what, what have you two encountered uh, in your in your employment history in terms of like, like where you've seen this gone the other way? Because you're both, um, this is a podcast, but you're both women of color. Um, you, you may have seen this from a different lens where people are necessarily filtering it from, uh, it's, it's perceived in a very different way. Um, what, what do you, from your perspective as former candidates or current candidates or whatever, what, where do you see some of the gaps in this or where have you experienced them? I... I'm going to share something that's not completely for employment, but because I'm an architect, I also interview for projects. So I'm going to use that example. There's a particular developer that's supposed to be not a good person. And uh, one of my colleagues... Just so that you're aware, we we are going to put this out on a podcast. So I I don't want you... Like, like, another market (laughs) that you've never... You're not in now and you've never worked with... Yeah. And I'm never going to work with that person. So it's fine. And I'm not going to name that person. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So um, there's this particular developer that he doesn't have a good reputation. And um, when I wanted to, uh, you know, go and canvas for new work, somebody told me, don't go to this person. And it was a white colleague who said that. And I said, one thing about being a woman of color is if somebody picks up the phone, talks to you, meets you, and then promises you a project, that means they already passed their first test on racial bias. Mm. So there are not, there won't be many surprises later. That's mm. one thing about being a woman of color. The doors won't open to you easily, but once they open, people open it for who you are and let you bring your authentic touch. Okay. Good. Thank you. For, for that, Manisha, how about how about yourself? I mean, you've you've been in sort of the Midwest and now on the West Coast in a probably a very politically different city. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe uh, where have you sort of experienced some of these things that kind of held up as a a culture fit filter that 
could possibly mm-hmm. go wrong based on, say, s- psychology gone wrong. Right. I I think overall, I it I never experienced something uh, so personally that that I felt. Uh, you know, like outcast, outcast, or as an outlier, uh, as you know, someone coming from a different culture, or a woman of color. Having said that, uh, what I tend to see more of are what I call microaggressions. See that whether you know you're disregarded when you're talking, or someone mm-hmm. talks over you. Um, or uh, does not want to acknowledge you, or, or different ways in which that happens. So, those are the those are the only times that I've uh, you know they sort of register. But uh, but yeah. again, it, it's nothing that I've seen where I felt that I uh, you know I, I felt that I was uh, looked at differently. Okay. Yeah, and I've seen that in meetings, definitely where there's people who are kind of dominating the conversation and somebody who's a good facilitator or a good leader will catch that. Yeah. And that's, that's a cultural thing where I think you have to look for it too. It's like, am I joining an organization that has a leader that won't tolerate that? And I've seen the leader say, I think we've heard enough from you. It's like, I'd like to hear from Jill. You know, she was trying to say something, let's let her finish and we'll just shut it down. Just has Absolutely. to keep shutting it down. Absolutely. And uh, I, I've, I've noticed that uh, I uh, and you understand, you know, then then you sort of see the differences between leaders as well, where mm-hmm. someone will, uh, you know, sort of nip it in the bud and say, I, uh, you know, before you go any further, I think someone X, X, Y, Z was really trying to say something, exactly. and, you know, and directing the conversation um, back to them or even in, uh, you know, non-meeting settings, uh, you know, for something as simple as, hey, we're all going out to lunch. And mm-hmm. then you you would have someone who just walks ahead with another coworker and you're kind of trying to catch from behind. And mm-hmm. then you have someone who will actually like stop in their tracks, wait to include you. So, you know, some of these are, they, they can be non-verbal as well, but, you know, they're, uh, you tend to sort of see some of these cues and, and those yeah. are interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I've actually seen this in interviews as well, uh, just where the bias subtly slips in. There's a, there was a debrief that I was part of and, and there was someone who um, had white hair and uh, had lost their spouse to, uh, to, to, uh, they were, they were, uh, their, their spouse had passed away. Uh, and they'd taken a year off and uh, they were a little fragile in the interview, but like when you mm-hmm. looked at like what they'd done and what their, their professional experience, they were more than qualified for the role. And it came up like in the, the debrief that the person who made the remark was like, well, it's a very fast pace. You know, are they, <laughs> are they ready to uh, keep Food. up? And it was a very, it was a, it was uh, a younger person making this remark and the person that was facilitating the debrief, I called it out and, you know, I said like, look, uh, this is not, let's not bring things that aren't in evidence from the interview into this. Let's not speculate. Like what's that, what, what was it that they said? How did they answer the questions? And, you know, do we think that this person, as they said, raised the bar and um, the person facilitating 
zeroed in on it. I said, absolutely. Yeah, it's, let's let's yeah. put that aside. And that was the right outcome. But you can only imagine like how many times that actually slips in. So one of the yeah. one of the things with this is that you don't allow your own biases, your own sort of gut feel. And that was the one thing where this can go badly wrong if you have poor people that are poorly trained in this technique. And yeah. Amazon, yeah. I'm sorry, Larry, but Amazon <laughs> had its own leadership principles. It had its own rubric that it was, <laughs> it was, it was uh, uh, measuring against. And mm-hmm. people were on in line with what that actually meant. And you could call at each other out. You know, if you were in the meeting, it was all peers, right, um, right. you know, regardless of your level. Um, that's important. You've got to be able to keep the evaluators honest, even when they aren't, they don't think they're being dishonest. Uh, yeah. And that that's the hard part. And I think as a, another thing as a good leader is to observe the performance of your interview team, Right. And to do debriefs with candidates to say, how was the process? You know, what went well, what didn't go well? And look for those trends and go, you know what? Bob's off the team, man. It's like He is not doing a good job as an interviewer. He's not in alignment with people's assessment of talent. And there's been a couple of things he's done that candidates are like, you know, that question was a little off. And you have to monitor that stuff and take people off the team and, and put the right people on the team because... It's hard to bring in great people if you don't have great people doing the assessment. Well, and it's, or, or the, even the right recruiting team doing it because it's like, I mean, I always broke the rules. I always talked to candidates afterwards and said, yeah, this is what you, to. you're not supposed to, it's, it's because lawyers, you're not supposed yeah, to tell them lawyers. like, like what you could, I mean, you never gave specifics. It's like, yeah, Bob really hated sure. you. No, it was more, it was more like, this is what I would work on. Or, you know, yeah. this is, you yeah. know, try back in a year. It's probably not a fit for you. I have that honest conversation with them. But the worst thing of all is like the ghosting is where, where they just never yeah. call you back. That. Um, mm-hmm. And I think just being respectful of people's time and the efforts that they put into all of this is, is a critically missing skill. It's always a good, yeah. I, I always tell people that I coach, um, if they do that to you, just like never call, like that's a huge red flag. Like how you're treated yeah, on, the, on the it day is. of the loop or the day of the interview, like they're it's only going to get behavior. Yeah, it, exactly. it's only going to yeah. get worse from there, right? Exactly. If they treat you badly on the day of your interview, that is like the first date, and they they couldn't show up worse. for that. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I always tell people it's like you have to remember this is supposed to be kind of a, a power dynamic where you're assessing them as much as they are assessing you, and I think too many candidates get into the position of being submissive and assuming it's like, well, I'm just here to answer your questions. And I'm going to let you hammer me with question after question after question. I tell people, don't let that happen. You know, every time you answer a question, that's your chance to pivot back and ask them a question. And again, that's a red flag if they're like, no, 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 we're asking the questions here. You you can save your questions till the end of the day. It's like, oh, really? So I always tell people, it's like, seize your power, ask the questions, you know, stand up for yourself. Because they'll do questions like, uh, there was one I remember, this is a, one of those trick kind of questions, but it's like, tell me why I shouldn't hire you. <laughs> you know, it, and some people just really get thrown by that. And they're like, um, uh, you, you should hire me. I mean, there's no reason not to hire me. Yeah. And I said, turn that around and use it as a way to say, if you are this type of company, or if this is your expectation of what I'm going to be doing here, don't hire me because I don't want to work here anyway. 
that's an excellent question. Actually, um, I got asked that question. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. I did. It, it does happen. Um, yeah. Uh, it, you know, and, uh, I did get hired, hopefully because of that reason. And I said <laughs> that uh, my answer, I, I remember to the, you know, I, I don't remember the exact words, but to, to the effect were that um, I believe that this role uh, is a fairly senior role. I would expect autonomy. And mm-hmm. I would expect uh, the ability to make decisions. Of course, that doesn't mean that it's my way or the highway. But if that is not something that you would expect me to do or, or this individual to do, then you should not be hiring me. Perfect. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. That is a wonderful <laughs> point to go out on, I think. <laughs> I, I, like that, that, that in a nutshell. Yes. Thank you so much, and uh, Megan. Thank you so much you for That's for coming really on. Good. We'll let you know when. Thanks it for goes being brave. Thanks yeah. for being brave. Thanks <laughs> for bra- being brave. Uh, the first ones, and and I think I think we might do this again. This was fun. So thank you yeah. so much yeah. for raising your hand and uh, being a part of the show. Absolutely, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Bye. So, what do you guys think? It was a pretty good first hot seat session. It was amazing. I mean, we got a couple, like you said, I think we got a couple of ringers. I mean, they they have some experience and they've, they've been through, this isn't their first rodeo. Mm -hmm. So I think they, they've kind of faced some of these questions before. I think everybody can get better at it. So I think that's, that's the key takeaways. Even people with a decade plus experience can find ways to get better at this and be tighter in their answers. But I thought it was fantastic. So Anna, if some other brave souls listening to this, wanted to get into the hot seat, how would they get in contact with us? Yeah, we have an email called Anna at thebraveworkforce.com that they can email. They can also reach out on LinkedIn to either one of our professional, a personal uh, LinkedIn's. And uh, yeah, that's how you can contact us. And or or Twitter. We're on the, some of us are on the Twitters. BNWF podcast. Yes, that's us on Twitter. Yeah, Larry's this Twitter guy. So if you want to talk to Larry, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's his domain. And LinkedIn is Tripp's domain. So there you go. Yeah, Yeah. no kidding. (laughs) So until next time, Larry, tell me about a time when you put one foot in front of the other because better days were ahead. Exactly. I always knew better days were ahead. (laughs) 